Well, it's good to be with you all this morning again as we make our way through Paul's final letter there in 2 Timothy as he writes to the church at Ephesus and because his time dawns. The day is coming, the, the day is setting um, on Paul's death. And so Paul writes to Timothy there in the late 60s A.D., alerting him and telling him about his soon departure and what he is urging Timothy, this young pastor in Ephesus, to be about. And so this morning we're going to look at first or Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through chapter 2, verse 13, asking this question, what should the church look for in a faithful preacher? Or what should the church look for in a faithful pastor? Paul's giving some of that instruction. So again, I want to encourage you, make your way to Second Timothy chapter 1. I don't know, by this point, I don't think I'm going to be spoiling anything. I'm assuming most of you have had the opportunity to see the early 2000s movie by Mel Gibson there, The Patriot. It's set during the Revolutionary War as the Americans are fighting off the British. And there comes this epic moment in the final battle when the British are seeming to take the hill and, and the American troops are running and fleeing. And it's like this showdown between Mel Gibson and, and, and the, the ultimate enemy throughout the movie, they're kind of eyeing each other. But Gibson sees this moment and realizes what's happening. He runs and he grabs the American flag and begins to run up the hill, yelling, No retreat! Hold the line! Hold the line! And as he's running up this hill with the American flag, these men who have been running the opposite direction see their leader charging into battle, no weapon, just the flag, and they all begin to just do this moment that they start to turn. And they start to yell. They start to run up the hill. And in some way, I think I envision that Paul is, is running toward the end. That the finish line is there. And Paul is, is yelling back to Timothy, No retreat! Hold the line! Hold the line! And here we are. Some 2,000 years later, the Word of God still standing, coming to us this morning. And maybe you ought to hear it for yourself. No retreat. Hold the line. Hold the line. But we might ask, well, what even is the line? And what is a faithful pastor to be about? And I think Paul is going to say to us that a faithful preacher holds the line by preaching faithfully, equipping others, and remembering Jesus. Now, Paul could undoubtedly say much more about what preaching is and what a faithful pastor is, and he does throughout this letter and other letters. But he couldn't say less than that. That holding the line as a faithful preacher is preaching faithfully. It's equipping others and remembering Jesus. So if you would, turn with me. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 13. As we come to this first truth, as the church asks, what should the church look for in a faithful preacher? And the first one is this. Look for a preacher who preaches faithfully. And that might get like, duh? Like, really, dude? Really? That seems obvious. But for Paul, in the midst of suffering and a culture that is hating the gospel, one that you are now and your children and grandchildren are growing up in, one that's opposed to these truths, this is challenging times, Paul says. Paul is, in fact, right now, as he writes this letter, in prison. There is real persecution. And the temptation is going to be, Timothy, and for us, to draw back. To not hold the line. So we are to look for a preacher who preaches faithfully. Look what he says beginning in verse 13. 
follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm aware that some of your translations are not going to say follow the pattern. They're going to say hold the pattern. There's this sense of this word follow or hold. It, it indicates like to grab or to see something. It's, it's there before you. And, and Paul's saying, listen, there's a pattern of sound words that you've been hearing. And I want you to know, Timothy, that this is what you are to grab, to hold on to. It's this word of God. Paul doesn't tell Timothy, hey, bro, just fake it until you make it. He's been preparing and teaching Timothy for this moment. And Timothy is to understand and know what these sound words, or again, your translation may say healthy words are. And so let's ask, what are the sound words? What are these healthy words that Timothy is to seize and the church is to seize and to hold on to? It's the gospel. Notice what he says about it. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What is this faith and love that are in Christ? Well, if you remember with us last week, Paul has explained the gospel. Here it again in verse 9 and 10 of First Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says, listen to this. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Did you hear it? Faith is, look what he says there at the beginning of verse 9. Faith is believing that we are saved. Look what he says. Look what he says to us. That we are saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our what? Our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. That's a faith that believes it. That's saying, listen, I'm not trusting, right, in any work of my own, as we sang opening up today, right? We're believing that if we're trusting in our works, then that's ultimately sinking what, church? Sinking sand, isn't it? But if we're resting and trusting in this gospel, if our faith is in that hope that we are saved not by works but by grace, that is the true work, right? I mean, when you think about it, there's only one work that will save. It's not our work. It is His finished work on the cross. That's what He said. Christ died on the cross. It is finished. It's His finished work. That that's our confidence. That's our trust. But that in itself, this faith points us to the love, doesn't it? Look what He says again. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. Look what He says here. Which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. When he says, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God's love is displayed in saving us not because of how good we are. God's love is displayed in saving us despite how bad we are. What hope that is. That's the gospel that he's to be preaching. That's the gospel that we are to hold to. This pattern, follow it, he says, hold to it, seize it, grab it. These sound words, this truth of the gospel. So when we think about that, the faithful preacher just doesn't enter, like doesn't add Jesus at the end of every sermon like it's a final sales pitch. No, he, that Christ is the centerpiece of the sermon from beginning to end. It's been said that a good judge of a message often is, could that same message been preached in a synagogue or a mosque and received well? If so, brothers and sisters, that is not the gospel. This gospel is offensive. Why? Because from beginning to end, we are appointing people continually to Christ. It's faithful preaching. It's this sound word. 
And why is it so vital to have a preacher who faithfully follows this pattern? Because of where it leads. Because of where it leads. Paul uses the same exact word, uh, the statement there about sound words in his previous letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look what he says in verse 3 of 1 Timothy 6. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, same word he's using here, of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching, listen to this, that accords with godliness. He's saying, listen, the reason why we must hold to this sound teaching, the reason why the church must look for one who preaches faithfully the word is because only the gospel has the power to transform a man or woman's heart. Only the true gospel accords with godliness. It's not just about right teaching or right believing. It's also about right living. And the gospel has the power to change. So what I ask you, has the gospel transformed you? The way you talk, the way you act, the way you think, your desires. You see this pattern. I, I don't know about you, but I had a fourth grade teacher, Miss Kathy Wells, and she would always have us doing these awesome little designs of like sewing. And, and I get it. I realize that's probably not the most manly thing to say here, but man, I love those opportunities because she would have these number patterns and you would put the needle in there and the yarn back through that pattern. And before long, you would have your mom, this awesome thing for mother's day that you were going to show her. But if you didn't follow the right order and sequence, guess what? That image was distorted, man. It wasn't clear. Like I was like, man, I missed something. There was like my flower was like looking down the ground rather than standing up. It was like, what did I do wrong here? It's the same way with the gospel. If we don't hold to this true gospel, brothers and sisters, the disciples that are going to be made are not going to look in the image Christ. Paul says this won't be easy. He's reminding him it's like the work of a soldier. Look what he says in verse 14. This imagery of soldierness, of being a soldier, begins to echo throughout this in the early parts of chapter 2. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, look what he says. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The word guard has that imagery of a soldier who's standing on active duty. Thus, we're constantly to be ready to guard this gospel, right? I mean, we, we recognize it in those who are not preaching and teaching soundly. But we also have to be on guard against a culture that is opposed to these truths. But rest, dear friend. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? How are we to guard this? How, where does the strength and power to come to stand up against the culture or in your own family or amongst your friends or your co-workers? Like, where does this strength come from? Look what he says. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Friend, you are not alone. And that's one of the things you're looking for as you think about those who preach the word unto you. It was the great Methodist preacher John Wesley who once said, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. He's saying that the, the, the preacher, when he steps in the pulpit, there ought to be a tenacity. This doesn't mean that he's going to have to yell and scream and do all of those things, but there ought to be a blood earnest passion. I remember hearing an old preacher say one time that he got finished preaching and this old boy met him at the back door and, and he said this. He said, preacher, I don't believe what you've been preaching today, but I'm convinced you do. I'm convinced you do. I, I remember hearing that man from the pulpit share that story years ago. I think we were with a Hearts on Fire at the Youth 
in, 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 in Tennessee. I mean, it was long ago, but I can still hear that man standing there saying that. I, I don't believe what you're preaching today, but I'm convinced after hearing it, you do. That's what we're striving after. That's what we're looking for. So do we realize what this means? First of the preachers. We don't get to preach whatever strikes us or whatever stands out the most. No, our aim, and it is a hard aim, is to labor long and well to bring faithfully the gospel of Jesus Christ, to lift Him high, right? Because when He is lifted high and stretched wide, He said, I will draw all people unto Myself. It is this reminder. It is much more as we come to this Word, brothers and sisters, to faithfully teach it. I think a great question to ask any preacher is, what preachers in the past and those currently have influenced you the most? Or maybe asking this question, what books outside of the Bible have influenced your preaching the most? Those answers don't tell all the story, but they start to give you a glimpse of whose footsteps are they desiring to walk in. Secondly, to the church, as you think about this, this says to us that who you listen to preach the gospel and who your children and grandchildren listen, preach the gospel, is one of the most important decisions you will make in all of your life. I, I, I hear the adage and I understand the sentiment behind it. It doesn't matter where you go to church, just go somewhere. Brothers and sisters, I, I want to warn you of that type of thinking. I just for a moment, consider applying that, that your child is, is extremely ill and sick. And someone says to you, well, it doesn't matter what doctor you took, go to, just go to anyone. You would think, no, I'm going to search far and wide to find the very best. This is the health of my child. Brothers and sisters, how much more are souls? How much more your soul, the soul of your children? This pattern matters. Why? why? Why does it matter so much? Because the pattern of the preacher in the pulpit is likely to become the pattern in your own life. It's the pattern for the Sunday school teachers in the church. It's the pattern, right? This, this, is, this is monumental. This can't be taken lightly. That Paul's saying, follow the pattern, the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So again, the church is to look for a preacher who faithfully preaches the Word. But secondly, look for a preacher who equips others. Look what Paul says now. Look in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul is, is telling Timothy that there's this pattern to follow. There's this, this good deposit of the faith to guard. There's this call now to entrust others. I mean, it, it, it feels and seems like overwhelming. Like, who's equal to such a task? But did you hear how Paul started? Look again. Look at your eyes back to verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by what, church? Grace. By grace. Here's the good news for all that lies before this church and whatever your family faces in the days ahead. Could I encourage you, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. Be strengthened by this grace. What, what is Timothy to do now? Look what he says. He is to take what he has heard, the gospel, and he is to entrust that. That's what he says in verse 2. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, 
entrust to faithful men who are now going to be able to teach others also. These faithful men are men of high character. Paul has already told him in the previous letter, 1 Timothy 3, or you could read the letter to Titus in Titus chapter 1. He begins to lift out these character qualities of what it looks like to be a pastor or an elder. You see, it's not just that a man is gifted in preaching, but he also must be a man of integrity. Paul says he must be a man that has a good reputation not only inside the church, but outside the church. Church, over 2,000 years later, here we stand and nothing has changed. We are still looking for men with the right character and the right gifting to serve the church well. Paul says the, the, the responsibility is to preach and entrust and repeat. That's what's happening here. In handing over this gospel, Paul says, listen, this is hard work, Timothy. This is not going to be easy. And so he shares with him these, these metaphors, three of them specifically, in verses 4 through 6. Look at me, you would. Begin in verse 3. He says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul's reminder of Timothy in verse 3 there that the preaching, the teaching, the discipling, the raising up of others is hard work. It won't be easy. But I, I want to caution you to only hear this and think, well, man, this is just about preachers. There's the application to the church as well. Why? Because we're all called to go and make disciples. Amen? We all have this mantle, this responsibility. So as we hear this specifically, yes, to the pastors, the preachers, the, the elders of the church, but that doesn't mean it's their job alone, that we all are involved in this making of disciples. So look what he says. These three different metaphors. First, he says in verse 3 and 4 that, he is to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He says, listen, in your making of disciples, in your raising up of others, there's to be like a soldier, a single-mindedness. And your aim is to please one, right? That old statement, the audience of one. That's who we are to please. And he's going to tell him at the end, his last, last chapter of this letter, 2 Timothy 4, he's like, hey, listen, Timothy, man, I just want to leave you with this reminder that you're preaching in the presence of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. So preach the word. There's this sense of like this single mindedness. And I think it's just a reminder to all of us in the church that we are soldiers and not sergeants. Our responsibility is to have that single minded obedience to please our Lord and Savior. But look at us, he says, verse five. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Paul's saying, listen, you, just like an athlete, you, you can grind all you want, man. You can work and work. But just like we see in the MLB or other places, man, you, you hit those, those pits and guess what happens? You can be the most talented brother on that field and still not be eligible to play. Right? We've seen it with some of the greatest names that have ever stepped across baseball and the Hall of Fame and different ones are saying no to them because there's questions about their integrity and things they used. Here it is. Look what he says. The athlete has to play by the rules. That's the only way you get crowned. He's saying the same way. Listen, the prize is the kingdom. We're to be following this sound doctrine, this truth. Otherwise, you'll find yourself disqualified. And the third metaphor he uses, look at verse 6. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The farmer works hard. 
Right? I mean, look, look at all of these. The soldier is not of his own accord, right? He's always in submission to another. The athlete, right, is working according to rules that others have already put in place. So that way he can be crowned, receive the award. The farmer, right, it, it, it's, there's very few days off, right? You're just working hard constantly so that you might share in the harvest. That's the imagery. This is hard work. Equipping others is hard work. But we all have a role to play. And you might think, well, Blake, what's that role even look like? Consider this. In Miss Elva Joe's Sunday school class, where her and Miss Charlotte and the rain and others I know over the years have been in, they work to teach our kids the Word of God. But one of the things they also work is the, book of the books of the Bible. By this point, I've had about three kiddos that have all made it through that. Judah's getting close. And you know what I've seen? It's not merely just that they're learning the names of the books. It's that they're also able to find them. And so in family worship, man, they've all come to that class. I begin to notice that they're able, when we say a book, they're able to find it there. Why? Because they've been laboring and teaching. There's this sense of which, right again, that's a thing that often doesn't get much fanfare, but that is a part of discipling and equipping others. So I don't want you to hear this message today and think, well, that's only about the people in the pulpit. No, it also is about all of us in the pew as well. All of us have a responsibility and a role. I hope and pray as, as our time here comes to a close that our legacy, part of that legacy might be that the Word has done the work. That the Word has done the work. We're intentional, right, to, to spend time preaching and proclaiming this gospel. But I know that ultimately the Word is doing the work. And, and I think about that, about how discipling happens in this. Again, look what Paul says there. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Can I tell you that those conversations and meetings happen of discussing the Scriptures? Yes, here in the church, absolutely. But they also happen in Monday night at the ballpark as the rain was pouring down. I stood underneath the tree of another brother and we talked about how we could best disciple our sons and point them to Christ. Discipleship happens yesterday in our driveway when a brother showed up just for a moment and and, and we were talking about the possibility that, that there looks like there may be a good possibility of a house in Niger. And he's like, dude, that's such great news. My daughter and I have been praying every night for that for you guys before bed. You, you see, the equipping, it happens in the church, but it happens at the park. It happens in the driveway and in your homes. Like it's happening everywhere. Like we're pouring in and discipling one another and they are discipling us. This is the work and it's hard work. It's sacrificing work. And the pastor, yes, is absolutely to lead in it. And they are to lead well that the church might follow. So again, as the church considers, what is it? What should we look for in a faithful pastor? Well, one, he faithfully preaches the word. Secondly, you're to look for a pastor who is is faithfully entrusting the gospel to others. They're equipping others. And third and last, look for a preacher who remembers Jesus. Look for a preacher who remembers Jesus. Look what he says. Let's look at verse 8 and 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Paul knows that Timothy will grow weary, and we will too. He knows there's going to be moments when Timothy and all of the preachers preach and no one responds. He knows there's going to be moments when you come and you teach that class and you look out and you think, man, is anybody even interested? 
where you examine your class and you think, man, who's going to take my place when I step off the scene? Or you pour into that young man or woman or you disciple them or you pick that kiddo up on the bus for years and then all of a sudden seemingly they just walk away and have no desire to come back. In those moments and a million more, Paul says, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember that he too once appeared defeated. More defeated than we've ever experienced because he was a corpse in the grave. But he says, don't forget that on the third day, by the power of God, he was raised from the dead. He has victory over sin and death. The death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. This gospel, he says, listen, even though I'm suffering, verse 9, bound with chains as a criminal, Paul says, I am in prison. But the word of God is never in prison. It's always going forth. GBC, let's not shrink back in believing that what our church needs or what our Sunday school class needs or what this community needs is and will always be the gospel. The temptation can be, man, we've got to do something else. Enough people aren't coming. What can we do? That's not working. I want to remind you in those moments and my own soul in those moments that what we think has to be rooted in what God thinks. And the prophet Isaiah says to us, that the Word of God shall never return void. It will always, it will always, it will always accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. To the discouraged mom and dad, to the discouraged Sunday school teacher, the children's worker, to the discouraged pastor, let us never forget the Word will never return void. It always does the work. He says, listen, remember Jesus Christ. Listen further how it empowers us. Verse 10, therefore, Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says, I can endure this and everything else. Why, Paul? He gives two reasons. First, he remembers Jesus. He remembers that, guess what? The grave could not hold him. He has won the victory. He remembers the power of Christ. And he says because of that, just like they couldn't bind Christ in that tomb any longer, the Word of God will not be bound. It will go forth. Even though I'm imprisoned and I can't go out and love on these churches and I can't go see my precious Timothy and I can't do the things maybe, and some of you feel that way. Life circumstances, physical aging, you feel like, man, I've become more and more chain bound back i want to encourage you the word of god still goes forth your prayers are still going forth your example all these years are still going forth so first he remembers jesus it encourages him but secondly he also remembers those who will be saved look what he says there again therefore i endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in christ jesus with eternal glory Paul says, I can endure all this on the sake of the elect, the chosen of God, that they might obtain salvation. Now, we may disagree on all the implications of election, but don't miss in the midst of that the good news of how it's encouraging Paul and encouraging Timothy and ought to encourage us. And the good news is that in the face of suffering, the face of opposition, there is the assurance that some will be saved. That's part of the joy. The confidence in going door to door, right? And knocking on that door, having that conversation under the tree at the ballpark. We have confidence. We don't know who it will be or when it will be, but we know that God's going to save. That's part of our encouragement as we prepare to go to the nations. 
I don't know who it will be or when it will be, but I know that God's Word has said that there will come a day when people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language, will be around the throne worshiping God. You see, church, our job is to be faithful to scatter the seed. It is God's job to be faithful to bring the harvest. It's Paul's encouragement. It's hope. So Paul closes out this section of the letter with just some great words here. Verse 11 to 13. Look what he says. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he, will also, deny, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. So look at that just for a few moments. Does Paul really mean that? That you win by losing? That's what he says. If we have died with him, the result is we will also live with him. He's saying, listen, just like out of Christ's death came the ultimate life and the resurrection for all of us who are in Christ, his resurrection has become our resurrection, our hope. But I want to caution that we don't twist this for our own prosperity. Like to think, well, you know what? If I do things the right way, that means that everything in this life is going to go right for me. It doesn't. Don't forget, friends, that soon Paul himself is going to be beheaded for this very gospel. Don't forget it's often the faithful soldier who gives up his life. But in coming to Christ, dying to ourselves and living the power of the Holy Spirit, what we experience is true life. What we were created for. The life abundant, the life that places God first, others second, and ourselves last. In the midst of your struggles today to remain faithful, I don't know what's coming against you in your life, but I want to encourage you, keep holding the line. Never forget, look what Paul says, verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. What encouragement. That the the suffering, right? Paul says that I know that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that shall shall be revealed within us. Therefore, I fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen, the struggles of today, he says, this is temporary. But what is unseen, the reigning Paul's talking about, he says, that's eternal. Fix your eyes there in the midst of suffering and heartache. But then there's also this challenge. Look at the end of verse 12. Paul says here, again, this call to remember the gospel, remember Christ. He says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. These are some challenging verses, but it seems to indicate this isn't like a one-time denial, right? We know Peter denied and was later restored. This denial indicates like this settled state, that this person has come to a place of saying, I no longer affirm Christ as Savior. Now, it's changing vastly in the culture. It's, I mean, it's rapidly changing the culture in which you and I live. But, but we still, in the midst of this Bible belt and the things here, I think it's a reminder that the denial, often, it's, it's more hidden. It's not that people often are denying Christ with their lips. It's with their lives. It's what Paul tells the other young preacher, Titus, in Titus 1 and 16. These people claim to know me, but by their very actions, they deny me. The denial's through the actions. It's, they would still affirm Christ with their lips, but their lives, their hearts... You see, the the first three examples, they all seem to make perfect sense, don't they? You do right, you get rewarded. You do wrong, you suffer punishment. But then there's a tension we're all feeling. Because if you look at your life and I look at my life, we begin to realize that there are all times that we've failed. 
We hit snooze instead of getting up to read and pray. We don't endure in our suffering, but instead find ourselves wallowing and complaining, feeling forsaken and defeated. We've all had moments when we should have stood up for Christ and defended Him with friends or at those co-workers, but we buckled like a baby learning to walk. And we might ask, well, what hope is there for us in those moments? What encouragement is there for us in moments of being faithless? Look what he says, verse 13. This is a powerful word. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Hear this slowly. Even in our weakest of moments, our moments when it appears that our faith is failing, Christ remains faithful and continues to hold us fast. That's why we sang, we chose to sing this morning the words earlier, when I fear, my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I can never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. Why? For my Savior loves me so. He loves me. That's the only explanation. He loves me. He's holding me. He's the faithful Father. He's keeping me held fast. That's what He says. If we are faithless in our moments of weakness and fault and stumbling, which James says we all do, and Adam reminded us if we say we don't, we're a liar. In your moments of weakness and failure this past week, as you look back over the seasons of your life, and by God's grace, here you still are. Oh, sing with gusto, oh, your soul. He has held me fast. He's faithful. He's faithful. As our time here comes to a close, I want to just reassure you and remind you that even though labor and Todd and others labor with all that's in us, It's never us ultimately that's holding you fast. So as we leave and step off the scene, be reassured that the one who has always held you yesterday, the one that's holding you today, is the same one that will hold you tomorrow. I would say with Paul, friends, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. To the unbeliever in the room this morning, I might ask you, Paul urges Timothy to follow the pattern that you have heard from him. I might ask you, how well have you followed the pattern? Maybe you're like me back in that fourth grade classroom and you realize today, man, you know what? I didn't always get it right. My life hasn't looked exactly right. I haven't always honored God perfectly. I haven't always said the right thing or done the right thing. I've had evil thoughts and inward desires that I'm not proud of and I know are guilty before God. Could I just urge you to consider Jesus? To realize that there is one who died for us even in the midst of our sin and was raised again victorious over it. That there's one who will willingly and desires to be your advocate with the Father. To stand before God and represent you, taking on your sin and shame and standing before God, representing you with His perfect life. I want to urge you, friend, as you contemplate your own end, you and I need a substitute. We need to remember Jesus. Unbeliever, I urge you today, be reconciled to God, to the church. I think an important question we might ask from this in light of 
examining and thinking about faithful preachers and even this day as you consider, right, voting. How are we to know those who we should entrust the word to? And I think the reminder is that we are called to be faithful to proclaim the word and allow God to do the raising up and the calling out. I mean, isn't that what we've seen over the last 15 plus years? That God is delighted through the power of his word and the power of the Holy Spirit just to raise up. It was God's good work. It was God's good design. He, he raised up men like Mark Lowe and Greg Estes, Clifton Sullivan and Jason Sherrill, Todd Young and Mark Bonta, Jason Keltner and Adam Reynolds, and many more that I can't mention or all the rest who will come in the days ahead. It is the work of God to do such a thing. It's the work of God. So GBC, I say to you today, from these words of Paul, hold the line. Proclaim the gospel. Make disciples. And always, always, always remember Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that your word says, Lord, unto us, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Pray unto the Lord of harvest to raise up more laborers for his vineyard. And so, Lord, we look to you today that just as we look at this text and see this call to Timothy and the call to the church, we pray, O oh God, that you are the one who is going to raise up and call out more harvesters to come and be a part of your work. And, Lord, we give you celebration. We celebrate. We give thanks to you for what you have done, what we've seen over these last 15 plus years of your good desire just to raise up and call. And Lord, you've sent out many faithful brothers from this place to go and preach and to go to the nations from here. Thank you, Father. We rejoice in you. And Lord, I pray now in the days ahead that you will strengthen this church to always hold the line, to keep following the, 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 the solid, the truth, the pattern that they have heard in the gospel. Lord, we ask this morning that for those who are unbelievers in this room, that they themselves are contemplating their own lives and their own faithfulness and seeing their need of Jesus. God, would you point them to your Son by the power of your Spirit through this preached Word. Father, we give you thanks this morning. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen.